So a few weeks ago, Burning Rooms podcast celebrated its 10th episode. It's been such a great journey, and we've learned a lot about the movement and recording podcasts in general. We've had a lot of great feedback from our listeners, and we walked away very encouraged, and hopefully we encouraged a few of you in the process. This week, we wanted to mark the start of the next 10 episodes by releasing one that has never been heard, but it was recorded on the very first day that we started recording the Burning Rooms podcast. You will likely notice a change in the quality of audio and production as we have and continue to work on improving it week to week. And actually, if you've enjoyed this podcast, we have some equipment that we need to get in in order to keep providing quality podcasts, as what we have is beginning to give us a few issues. So if you'd like to help us out to that cause and keep us on the air, do so by visiting the link in the show notes or send us an email to burningroomspodcast at gmail.com to ask how to support this podcast. In the meantime, enjoy this episode that we recorded previously on the first day entitled The Audience of One. It was in the very beginning stages of Sanctuary House of Prayer, our praying community here in Winnipeg. People shuffled out of the little building we were using after a long day of hard work in the House of Prayer. We just finished a worship and intercession set, and this was often the time the majority of people went home because the hour was late. The five or six of us scheduled to lead the next worship set walked up to the stage only to realize that everyone who did not leave was now on the stage. It was just us and a room full of empty brown chairs. We were left with a big question. Do we just go home because no one is here? It is late after all and, and we're a little tired. Or do we finish up the day keep, and keep worshipping? Were we going to sing to an empty room? We were forced to ask ourselves why we were there. Was it simply to grow a prayer movement in our city? Or do we just sing to him because he is worthy of it? This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect with the prayer movement in Canada, have conversations, share stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan Heinrich. And I'm Brian Neistater. So that story that you started off with, this prayer meeting where everyone left the room except for the actual worship team, what was the feeling like for you being in the room at that time? I think all of us on stage probably had a very similar feeling. We, like right after the set, there's kind of this moment of silence where we just felt like the holiness of it and the pleasure of the Lord over us. And we actually wanted to keep going. Like that last quarter struck and it's just this time of silence. It's like, oh, can we keep going? We just feel the Lord loves this and we loved it. And actually like weeks after when there are some people that would hang around in the room, we just wanted them to go because we just felt like the Lord enjoyed it so much. And we learned to fall in love with empty prayer rooms. I love that story. It's one of my favorite stories about our house of prayer because I've watched as this has become such a core value in our house um, in the years that followed that. And we still have some prayer uh, meetings with some pretty empty rooms. So what do you tell new people in, on our worship teams when, when they're doing this in an empty room? 
we actually love starting them in empty rooms. Like, obviously, one of us are going to be there, maybe a staff member or two. We usually get them started on a devotional set. And it just gets them used to the idea of singing to the Lord and, and pouring out their heart to God. Like, quite often, if, if they're a new singer, we'll get them singing with another worship leader so that they're both singing to an empty room. And they just grab a hold of that and they begin get, catching the heart of the worship leader. Oh, wow, they're really going for it and no one's in the room. This wasn't your first experience with worship leading in an empty room, though, was it? I remember you t- telling a story, and maybe you can share it on the podcast, about uh, when you were younger and one of your first experiences of actually leading worship in an empty room. Well, back in the day when I was a teenager, I just began leading worship. I was leading in like three different house groups at the time, just trying to get trying to get my feet wet in worship leading. Uh, I was getting decent, um, but I was waiting for that opportunity to lead. We had a ministry center in the church, and before you can lead in the big church gathering, you lead in the ministry center where where they had prayer meetings, but quite often there'd be many people there. Sometimes there'd be no people. So I got a phone call one day from the pastor saying, hey, our worship leader dropped out today. Can, like, can you jump in? And I'm like, absolutely. So I drag my guitar. I, I put it in the vehicle. I'm so excited to finally get the opportunity I've been waiting for. I'm driving to the ministry center. I get there. I'm waiting with my guitar at the door because the door is locked and I don't know why. So the pastor, she's coming in a few minutes late. Uh, let's me in so I can set up. I, I'm feeling pretty nervous because this is my first time and the pastor's there. So I get my songs all set up on the ministry stand. I, I remember some papers falling off the stand because I'm nervous. My hands are shaking a little bit, but I'm ready to go. Like, this is, this is my opportunity. So I see the t- time ticking and it gets to the hour where it's time to start. And I wait five more minutes. I'm just kind of waiting for people to arrive. And I look at the pastor and say, okay, so I guess we're canceling tonight, eh? So it was just you two in the room. It was just us two in the room. I'm like, because I think they've canceled some before. So I was kind of expecting, okay, no one's here, I guess. And there goes my opportunity. Uh, so I looked to the pastor and she's like, go for it. I'm like, what? I don't want to go for it. <laughs> you're, you're in the room. Like, I can lead a room full of people easy, but one person in the room is just awkward and it's weird. Uh, but this was my opportunity and the pastor called me and she wanted me to lead. So she asked me, just go for it. So I close my eyes, pretending that there's people in the room and I just start singing. And then like maybe 10 minutes later, I finally glance one eye open to see if anybody's showed into the room, but no, no one else is the room, but there is the pastor sitting in the front row with her arms spread wide open, just pouring out her heart to Jesus and just worshiping like she's at a huge conference. And I was like, she has something that I need that I don't have. She is encountering the Lord. And I came here to, to lead a bunch of people in worship and not encounter the Lord. So that changed my perspective on things. That, that's kind of the first audience of one piece that really got ingrained inside of me. So. I love that story. So you were also directing a house of prayer uh, back in the day. It was a small house of prayer. Emphasis on small. A small house of prayer. I got to lead at a few of those, and yeah, there were shofars. Uh, when you were directing the small house of prayer, you had similar meetings, and you didn't have full worship teams to strengthen your prayer meetings. Sometimes it was probably only one or two people in the room. Uh, so, like, how did you guys keep going? Like, what gave you purpose? And how did your people react when there was no one in the room to pray? You know, personally, I just love being in a prayer room with other people. 
and having two or three people who really want to pray is so much more fun than just having one person who really wants to pray. And so I think we learned pretty early on that um, we just wanted to press into the heart of the Lord. And I, I really believe the words that Jesus said, that wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And so I knew that when we gathered together to pray, there was power on it. And so I was just ready to go for it. And and I'd be lying to if I said I was never discouraged. There were definitely some times where I'm like, where is everyone tonight? And and that definitely impacted me along the way. But but boy, by the time we started getting into to worship, and sometimes we just had to play like something off of an iPhone or something like that because we didn't have a worship leader there. But by the time we got into that, and then we, we actually started praying as well, um, I don't think we ever had a, a really disappointing meeting at all. It was just the Lord showed up and... Um, and so I love doing it. Yeah, I had a similar experience. In the early days of shop, the Lord put it on my heart to start a marketplace prayer meeting early in the morning. And our building was half an hour across the city. So I was getting up really early. I think the meeting was either 6 or 6.30 in the morning. And many of those meetings, we were doing it five days a week to start. But most of those meetings, it was just me and a room full of empty chairs. Now, I was used to the audience of One Piece, but I wasn't used to praying and then singing off of my own prayer and then chorus leading and leading songs and doing all the parts that we normally have in a house of prayer. But I really felt like it still mattered to the Lord. Like there's still prayer going up. There's still courses going up. And it really matters just because I'm being obedient to, to being before the Lord in the place of prayer. I love that. Now, that's the second time I've heard you use the phrase audience of one, which I know is a phrase that's really uh, dear to your heart. What do you mean by that phrase? It means God is the only audience when we are doing the activity that we're doing. When we're worshiping, God's the only audience. It, there could be people in the room, but God's the only audience. He gets all the glory. He gets all the worship. It's not about leading a room full of people. We have to do that as worship leaders sometimes. But at the heart level, it's all about giving glory to Jesus and lifting his name higher. I love that phrase because sometimes I can imagine as a worship leader, it's like you're saying, it's it's easy to be more aware of the people in the room than it is to the one we're actually worshiping. And I know certainly as a as an intercessor that sometimes when I'm praying in a group setting, I can almost be more aware of myself and the people in the room than the one I'm actually praying to. And so that that phrase, audience of one, I feel like is just so significant for myself as an intercessor to always remember that that what I'm doing is ultimately and, and primarily before God and God alone. And to kind of just allow the, all the other noise, all the other distractions just to fade away, because ultimately, it's all about Him. So, if we're having these empty room prayer meetings all the time, like, how does it really make a difference? We measure so many things based on how many people are in the room, how many people are in the crowd. Like, if a church had one or two people coming consistently every Sunday, something must be wrong. We, that church would be considered not very successful. So, what makes a prayer meeting with no people any different than that? And what's the point? Does he need us to pray in order for him to act, even though no one's in the room? There's not the two or three that are gathered in the midst? Yeah. I, I, lo I love that question. And for me, one of the ways I've sometimes even described my role, because I'm vocationally, I'm full-time in the house of prayer, I like to tell people that I believe I have the most important job in all of Winnipeg. And uh, even beyond that, I believe I have the most important job in our nation. And our prime minister, I mean, bless the guy's heart, but when he goes to work, you know, on, on his best day, maybe he's meeting with a few, you know, really powerful world leaders, something like that. And our, our premier on his best day, maybe he's making some important decisions over our whole province. Well, that's, that's cool. That's, 
that's okay, I guess. But when I go to work and and to maybe simplify or, or change the terms, when I, when I enter into prayer, I'm talking to the king of the universe. And, you know, our, it, it's great to have prime ministers and presidents of nations and kings and these rulers who, who we sometimes think have so much authority. But the reality is, is that the, the only reason our prime minister can even speak a word is because my God is holding every molecule in his body together. He's, he's amazing. He's incredible. I'm talking to the most powerful being in all of the universe every time I pray. And that, I think that revelation, that understanding is, is one of the things that, that, that empowers me as an intercessor. There's nothing more important than being before him. So why do you think God chose prayer as the vehicle in order to, to move, to do things? I'm sure there's like some really good theological answers to that question. I think for me, kind of at, at the heart is I think he, he loves us. And so he, one of the ways he set up his kingdom was with this idea of divine partnership that, that what we say, what we do actually matters on this, on this earth, which is just bizarre to think about that a God who's so powerful would actually listen to us when we pray. That you'd actually care about our little thoughts and our little worries and our little issues and, and all of those things. But, but he deeply and truly loves us. And I believe he set up the, this planet. He set up this, this earth around that idea that, that our words actually matter. He wants partnership. He wants relationship with us. And so he doesn't just want to run his kingdom from, from high above us and never ever listen to us. He actually deeply cares about us. And so I see intercession as partnership with God. It's, it's really us connecting with his heart and praying the things that are on his heart back to him as well. But it's all this divine partnership. Yeah, the term we like to use is affectionate, joyful agreement with God when we define intercession. And I mean, personally, like for me, I've always considered prayer, like I never considered myself an intercessor actually before the house of prayer. I, I was the worship leader guy. I always separated the two. Worship is different than prayer, but I came to the new understanding that worship is prayer. It's really just having that heart connect with the Lord. And I find that now that I was able to redefine prayer, to include worship, that the other piece, like praying word prayers, are a lot easier because it's all part of the same package. And at the same time, it's not just about God moving at what I ask Him to do or what I'm contending for, but He's also transforming me through my prayer, because when we talk to him, our hearts are transformed and we're transformed into his likeness and more like him. And we fall more in love with him just out of having a conversation with him. I mean, that's what I feel like the vehicle of prayer is good for me personally, because like, I just love him more when I get to talk to him. Yeah. I, I think about for myself in terms of um, my role as a, in, in intercession, I feel like it all revolves really around like hearing what's on the Lord's heart. Every time I, I get into prayer in our prayer room and I'm about to, to pray in, our, in a prayer meeting setting, I'm, I'm spending time asking the Lord over and over and over again, Lord, what's on your heart? What's on your heart? And usually it's a, it's a still small voice. And sometimes I'm not sure if it's the Lord or just my own heart, but it's a, a Bible verse will come to mind or a, a phrase will come to mind or an idea will come to mind. And so I, I want to pray those things back to the Lord. But then every once in a while, and honestly, I've only had a handful of these in the last 10 years. Every once in a while, the Lord speaks something profoundly and deeply to my spirit. And I, I remember this in our, in our prayer room probably about eight years ago. And Again, we were, we were in worship before our intercession part of our, of our set. 
And I'm asking the Lord over and over, what's on your heart for Winnipeg? What's on your heart for Winnipeg? And I, and I hear this phrase, the great Winnipeg outpouring. And it's one of the three or four times in my life where I've, I've heard it on the inside, the internal voice of the Lord, but it went right through me. And, and, and I knew then that it was like it was on his heart to see this revival released in our city. And whether people call it the great Winnipeg outpouring or not, I don't care at all. But, but, but it just gave me language for something that was on the Lord's heart to do in prayer. And so I, I love that reality that, that prayer really is in a, in a tangible way. It's partnership with God. It's, it's joyful, affectionate agreement with Him. And so getting even those, even the little kisses, even those, these little pieces of, of, um, of revelation from the Lord's heart are, are so meaningful to me in the process of intercession. And without it, I don't know if I could do it. And then you get encountered sometimes when you're not even asking for something. You're just having a conversation with the Lord. Like when the Lord called me full time into the house of prayer when I was in Kansas City, sitting in the prayer room, I was just reading through the word and declaring things back to him. It's like, God, you are so good. I declare that you're good and I love you. And then I have an open vision encounter where the Lord calls me full time into the house of prayer. That's a much longer story that I'm not going to go into, but just having that relationship and, and that conversation with the Lord where you're not even asking for things, you're just declaring who he is. And then he comes and he drops on you and he encounters you with revelation or he shows you things and speaks things to your heart just because you're spending time with him. I love that. Oh, man, I love it. That's that's just provoking for me. It's like, oh, yeah, like, I just want to get in front of him. I just want to talk to him, tell him I love him and, and hear his heart. That's that's great. That's like Mary Bethany wasn't probably wasn't asking or interceding at Jesus's feet. She was just there to listen and she was encountering the Lord's heart and she loved it there. So I love that. So as we think about the, the value and the importance of prayer, um, what are, what are some of the foundational kind of ideas that can help us stay steady in the midst of it, that can help us stay focused in on, on praying? I'd say there's, there's four things that I can think of. He just enjoys us. It's a relationship. It's not, it's not a meeting. Prayer isn't a meeting. It can, it can be in the context of a meeting, but it's really about relationship and just having a conversation with Him. The second thing is He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our prayers. He is worthy of our conversations. He is the God of heaven, and He deserves to have all our affection and all our attention, and He wants to be the only one when we're doing it. And number three, our prayers are powerful. And He moves, Scripture says, He moves at the sound of our voice, and He loves to hear our prayers, and He loves to answer our prayers. Number four, don't judge the impact of your prayer meeting by the size of your room, just like we were saying with these examples when the early morning prayer meetings or Brian starting a house of prayer without people or me singing in front of the pastor. Like, don't judge the impact of your prayer by the size of your room. God is there and he loves to move. And I'd like to hear many other stories. In fact, if there's some listeners that have some stories where God has moved in a one-person or two-person prayer meeting where he's done miraculous things, we would love to hear from some of our listeners as well. In closing, I, I just want to leave you guys with a final thought. In Song of Songs 2, verse 14, it says this, and I believe it's the Father's heart over us. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And I really believe this is God's heart over us. He loves us and he loves us, loves it when we pray. He just wants to hear our voice. 
He just wants to be near to us. He he loves it when we come before him in worship. And sometimes we're so worried about what everyone else is going to think. Like, maybe I'm not as good of a singer as that person beside me. I mean, that's me in every setting. But maybe I'm not as good of an intercessor. Maybe my prayers don't sound as good. And the Lord just doesn't care. He just wants to hear our voice in worship. He wants to hear our voice in prayer because he loves us and he's a good father. And so I want to encourage you, all of our listeners right now, is that if this is something you've even struggled with at times, is just to, to remember every time you pray, the Lord loves it. He's a good father and he wants to hear your voice. You've been listening to a podcast that was not released, but was recorded on our first day. Thank you for listening and thank you for your continued support. If you want more information, you can visit our website at burningrooms.ca. That's burningrooms.ca or send us off an email at burningrooms at gmail.com. Next episode, we'll be joined by Stephanie Reimer again to talk about the Forerunner Call. We hope you'll tune in and share it with your friends. Until next time, my name is Johan and this has been the Burning Rooms Podcast. Podcast.